All right, we're looking at God's Word, and we're looking at John 14. John chapter 14. We'll be looking at the second half, starting at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be, be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Please keep that open. We're going to be going through this passage together, and it is, hopefully, it will be something very different, perhaps even mind-blowing for us, okay? Today, we're going to be talking about emotions, I mean, ambitions, ambitions. We all have them, and it's uh, just a matter of whether how active they are or how passive they are um, in our hearts and minds as we pursue them. And so we're in church, and so I do have to ask you, how involved is God in your ambitions? You know, he's given us real giftings. Uh, real responsibilities, opportunities, desires. And so we have goals, we have ambitions, and we're doing the best we can, I hope. Clearly, God wants to be involved in our ambitions. I mean, just think of it this way. It'd be insane not to include God in our ambitions, right? God's got real plans for our lives. In fact, listen to what Jesus says about God's ambitions for us. Verse 12, we didn't read it, but this is one of the critical passages that helps us understand the whole chapter of John 14. Verse 12, John 14, 12 says, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Greater works. God's ambitions for us. Now, it does raise some questions like, what are these greater works, and how can we do them? These are questions that we're going to answer today from our passage, and then we'll see how aligned we are with what Jesus has to say. Again, it's crazy to not be aligned with God and his ambitions for us. All right, with that, first um, question we're going to answer, what are the greater works that Jesus is talking about? Let me tell you what Jesus has in mind and uh, what the greater works are, and then we'll see where it comes from in the text. The greater works are to be the ones sent into the world so that we can be a countercultural, loving church. Okay? Those are the greater works, that we would be sent into the world to be a countercultural, uh, loving church. Now, to start us off, we've got to step back and see, uh, why does Jesus even talk about these greater works? This is the context. We covered it last week in the first half of the chapter, but let me remind us of it. Chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says to the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Right? What is troubling the disciples? Well, it's because they're finding out that Jesus is going to leave them. Why will he leave them when they have stuck with him, right? They know that Jesus is the Messiah. Israel has been waiting for centuries. He's finally come, and they're so privileged to be chosen by him. But now Jesus is saying he's going to leave them. He's going to be going to his death at the cross, and this is so unexpected for the disciples. They have no idea what this means. They're so confused. So Jesus would try to comfort the disciples, giving them assurance, saying that I've got big plans for you, greater works. Jesus is not directly answering the, the question and the concern that the disciples have about his presence. He will, though, in this passage, and it will be very important to know where Jesus is because it's tied to the greater works. Okay, with that, what are these works? Verse 15, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Sounds like a very, you know, pretty straightforward, logical verse, but it does require some unpacking. When Jesus says in John's gospel, if you love me, what he's saying is, if you really believe in me, okay, if you love me, then you will, and you, that means you truly believe in me with your whole being in life to the point that I'm going to make a difference in your life where you're going to see change. You're going to see action. It might be like this. If I was a soccer player, Jesus would be like Lionel Messi, right? And I would want him to coach me. I would want Messi to coach me. And when he does, I'd be hanging on every word of his, right? I'd be so motivated to want to improve, and I probably would pick up a thing or two. I'd probably get better, right? That's the kind of love that Jesus has in mind. If you love me, it's a whole person, starting with the internal desires leading to action and change. And it's more than just saying I believe in Jesus. See, the reality is that it is easy to say, I believe in Jesus. In the most minimal and superficial way, it could be like the husband who says, 
um, to his wife, I love you, but doesn't do much to show for it. He'll say when challenged, I'm with you and I provide for you. What more do you want, right? There comes a point, however, when it is fair to ask, is that really love? See, Jesus has something far more in mind. If you love me, if you truly believe me, then we will keep his commandments. What are those commandments, though? It's what Jesus has just taught the disciples. He has just, they've just had the Passover meal in chapter 13. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, and then he teaches the disciples. What does he say? In John 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, this new commandment of Jesus, this really is the fulfillment of the law, which is raising the stakes in caring for people, one another. <clears throat> loving God, you know, the, the law is loving God and loving neighbor. And loving God, that was a given for all of Israel. They all knew they had to love God. There was no question there. The question was, if you love God, then will you really love your neighbor? Out of love for God, that is, right? See, Jesus is raising the bar here. If we love Jesus, if we obey Jesus in loving others well, and he's saying, the world will notice. Now we're starting to see what the greater works are with clarity, hopefully. Verse 12 again, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. We will also do the works that Jesus does. What are those works? Well, he was with the disciples. They did, Jesus did miraculous things. But even before that, Jesus was sent into the world. He was sent into the world by the Father. And so now Jesus is sending the disciples into the world to continue his mission. And the disciples, they would go on and establish the church who would continue the mission. Sent into the world to the point that the world will notice. They'll notice by our love being different than like the superficial romantic view of love that the world values. Greater works to be sent into the world to love one another as the church. You know, when it comes to being sent, it means that we as the church, we're not just like a missionary sending agency, sending others to do the work. No, our identity is as the missionaries, the ones who were sent to where we are right now. Even before we share Jesus with like non-Christian neighbors, our mission activity is to be together as a church, gathered for worship, loving God and loving neighbor, starting with one another. This is our new identity as a church. It's a we, not a me anymore. Together for one another. And it's like we, we are the temple presence where someone would go out in the world and then come to us to find the presence of God. More on that in a moment. But I hope this is a helpful reminder for us about what church is. For instance, we, we get along in church, but the question is why? Is it because we're wanting to invest and pour into each other so that we would be that supernatural community that stands out from the world? Said it before, the church 
we are the sanctification laboratory where we're all learning how to better care for one another, trying different ways through a myriad of possibilities based on who we are and who you are. Sometimes we mess up, and that's why we have this thing called repentance, to restore us to God and to one another. That's how we're staying committed in this covenantal community, all driven by a genuinely motivated love. but sometimes it can feel like the winds or the joys are few and far between. Sometimes it can feel like it's just too much effort to try. Church can feel mid, right, with one another. We need to hear what we truly are, who we truly are, recovering what I hope is this vision of the church community, the kind that I think all of us are longing for in our hearts. Jesus wants this for us. Question is how? That gets to our second question. How can we do these greater works of being this supernatural community that is sent into the world? And the answer is through Jesus' presence, who is with us by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, where we're about to go into the passage, these are rough waters. It's going to get wacky confusing, all right? So um, let me just explain, just to start us off. Jesus says he's going to be with the disciples, but in the Spirit. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay? The spirit of of truth. He is going to convince us of Jesus' words, reminding us who we are, how we're different from the rest of the world. The world won't, won't understand because they can't see the spirit who is in each one of us. And he empowers us to obey the new commandment. But what we're about to see is that what the Spirit will do primarily is to convince us that Jesus is with us. Okay? The Spirit of truth is going to convince us that we are connected to Jesus in the most intimate, indwelling way. In fact, that's the only way we're going to be able to do greater works, is with Jesus. Let me say it again. Jesus inspires the disciples to do greater works because he's going to leave them, right? That's what this was all about. But he says he's going to come back so that they can do the works. Three times, three times in our passage, Jesus will say he is really present to us and with us. We're going to go through those three moments, right? First, Jesus makes it clear he will not leave and abandon the disciples. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Okay? Jesus is saying all this because he said earlier in the chapter that he is going to prepare rooms in the Father's house for the disciples. That's verse 2. But now he says he's not leaving them, leaving the disciples as orphans. I planted the seed last week. That Jesus preparing rooms is not talking about Jesus' return at the end of time, at his second coming. He's talking about a reunion that is far more immediate than the end of time. Verse 19, 
follow along. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. We're not talking about the end of time, the second coming of Jesus. What Jesus is talking about here is his death and resurrection. He will be buried for three days and we will see him no more. But then he'll rise and the disciples will witness Jesus in the flesh. Because I live, you also will live, says Jesus. See, very soon the disciples are going to come to believe and understand that Jesus' death and resurrection, that was God's good news for the whole world. The new covenant promises finally fulfilled. This is good news, the gospel, that we can trust in Jesus and be reconciled to God. Trust in Jesus and you are with God. Look how Jesus puts it. Verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Why are we not going to be orphans? Because in the gospel, we are reconciled to God, where Jesus is in us, and we are in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is basically saying, I am still with you, just not in visible, physical form, but do not for a second that the, think that the Spirit is less than me. This is so shocking. This is like unheard of kind of stuff, you know, round peg in a square hole that it's far more radical that we could, than we could really understand. Jesus is the Holy One of God. He is entering into us, weak and miserable sinners. It's so difficult to get that Jesus explains it a second time. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I'm going to manifest myself to you, says Jesus. How? Well, the disciples want to know that as well. Verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself, yourself to us and not to the world? And this is what Jesus concludes. Verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. This is where it all comes full circle. Jesus said he's going to prepare rooms in the father's house. Remember that? Let's read that again. Verse two, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'd go to prepare a place for you? The home that he, Jesus and the father makes with believers is that he is going to die and rise again and the disciples will believe and they will be saved and have a secured place in the Father's house. But before it's heaven, it is intimate spiritual communion with God here on earth by faith. We will come to him and make our home with him, says Jesus. That home is being together with the Father and the Son in the Spirit here and now. The now is the emphasis. Again, the disciples, they just don't get it. They eventually will, and we can get it now, looking back in hindsight, but Jesus has to press this a third time. He tells the disciples that he's going to be with them. But this is weird. Verse 28. 
You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus thinks that if you understand this plan that I'm unfolding here for you, then you will rejoice. But we've got to sort through this confusion. Jesus is going away. Death, resurrection, ascension. Why rejoice? Because he's coming back to us through the Spirit at Pentecost. What that means is Jesus is going to be with us in a far more intimate way than if Jesus was standing right in front of us and we were staring him right in the eyes. Hard to imagine that, but that's what Jesus is getting at here. Let me try to clarify for us. Where is Jesus? He's saying he's going to the Father, then he says he's going to come to us. Which one is it? It's both. Okay? Jesus' resurrection and his um, ascension means his resurrected body is in heaven with the Father. He's enthroned, Lord of all, but he has not left us. Jesus wants us to see ourselves as an extension of him by being his body, his presence on earth for the world to see and take notice of. And so just as he was sent, so we are sent. Just as he loved and served, so we love and serve. And folks, this is really the big point of John 14 and the greater works. Jesus says we can do them because we believe that he is with us and empowering us to do greater works. But what we really need to believe is that he is with us. He's with us to help us carry out the mission. It's both, okay? The ascended Jesus is both with the Father and with us, his people, the church, in the spirit. We generally tend to think that I'm going to go to heaven at some point in my life, at the end of my life, or we think the opposite, which is I have Jesus here in my heart in some sentimental way. But we need to start to think the Lord Jesus is down here, not with me, but with we, us, the church. Three times Jesus says he is really present to us. We can't get around this word here. We're not left alone. We're not orphans. The Father and Son have made their home with us here. This is why we don't need to be troubled, but we can rejoice. That's like a very huge shift that we all need to be making as we come to understand John 14. And we need to make this shift to understand that Jesus is with us, that we are his presence, because this is what gives us confidence. Let me press this and by having us imagine How much more do you think we would obey Jesus if he was really right here next to us? I mean, how excited would would we be, right? Honestly, I I would feel like, oh, yes, I can be so confident because he's right here with me. We can go out into all the world, right? I can do all these greater works. Jesus right here. I'd be renewed with hope, the hope of experiencing uh, a profound kind of love that Man, if he's right here, all of us would just bow down and obey him. We can have that, actually, Jesus is saying. At the same time, I would probably feel a little overwhelmed when I'm tempted, right? Tempted to sin. 
And my guess is that's what we might be struggling with ourselves. But I ask this, I ask for us to imagine this, this probing question to what it would be like to have Jesus with us, not to guilt us, but to sharpen us. Because Jesus is saying that all that we think that we would be like and do if Jesus was physically with us, we can be and more greater works by the Holy Spirit. See, I don't need the Holy Spirit to give me some crazy, charismatic experience. I need to, the Holy Spirit to get me to believe that Jesus is with me. I need the Holy Spirit to get me to believe the gospel, that the weight of guilt has been lifted. That's what will give me the supernatural power to carry on Jesus' works in the way that he has made each one of us. This is a whole new redeemed, renewed identity. Brings us to our final point then. Let's talk about alignment with God's ambitions. Now that we know what these greater works are. I don't know what your ambitions are, but we know what God's ambitions are for us. It's to be the temple presence of God by faith in Jesus. To be the church, the place where the world will travel all around, but then they'll find God here because they meet Jesus in us, the body. And we kind of know that. That's why we'll say things like, yes, we are Jesus' hands and feet as we go and help the needy and the poor, right? But I want to say it's more foundational than that. We together, the church, we are Jesus' presence through the Spirit here on earth before we do any acts of mercy or compassion. Just us worshiping together like this on Sunday we're manifesting Jesus' presence to the world. I hope you realize that, and I hope you can feel assured that we are part of God's ambitions. And maybe you just needed to hear this, this tweak on John 14 to have us recognize who we are, what we're doing here, why we're here as a church. Jesus has not left us. He's urging us to continue to believe that he is with us and we are together in him. In fact, our new identity as a church is so foundational that we who are um, in the spirit of Christ dwelling within us, even when we're just hanging out together socially as fellow believers during the week, our fundamental identity is what comes out of us, the we, the church, and not me. When we're together in the world, hanging out, socializing, doing whatever, doesn't mean when we're together, we must evangelize. What it means is that we just need to recognize who we are. How can I describe the confidence that we ought to have together? Here on Sundays, but also in the world. See, we can walk around Stanford and the region like, having the confidence of diplomats. Like a genuine diplomat, proud of their leader, honored, honored to serve him. They love their country people, right? There's a confidence because we operate by a different set of rules. It's like we have diplomatic immunity, but our immunity isn't so that we can continue to sin, but just the opposite, to show off our pride in our homeland, 
our leader, and our laws. And it's not a self-righteous pride. What it is is a wise and radical countercultural love. Folks, next time we hang out with one another as, as uh, church friends, let's say you go to a restaurant, I want you all to just settle into your seats, then you look at each other, give one another a nod. Yeah, right? We know who we are and who is with us. That's how we start to live into God's ambitions. It's not just that we want God involved in our ambitions, but the privilege and the joy is that God involves us in his ambitions. In the 17th century, there was a a mathematician. He had a reputation for being a reckless carriage driver, okay? And he got into a near-death accident. And that brush with death led him to an experience of God, a profound encounter with God. See, for two hours that night, he had this um, spiritual awakening moment, changed the course of his life. It was beholding God in such a way that the only words that he could utter was fire, fire. Afterwards, he would write about this incident in his journal, and because it was so huge for him that he had finally encountered God in like this second conversion type of experience, that he wrote down what he, his reflections, and then he sewed it into his garment, close to his heart, because that's how special it was to him. Every time he'd get a new jacket, he would re-sew this parchment paper in, in the same place. This is what he wrote. It's uh, an account, um, the first half of the account that Oz Guinness uh, recounts for us in his book, The Call. This is what was written. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars, certainty, certainty, heartfelt, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, your God shall be my God, the world forgotten, and everything except God. He can only be found by the ways taught in the Gospels. Greatness of the human soul. O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee. Joy, 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 tears of joy. That mathematician who wrote this, his name was Blaise Pascal. Maybe you've heard of him, right? Guinness describes him as one of the supreme human thinkers of all time. Now, why do I share Pascal's story here? First, because we can have an experience of Jesus like Pascal had. Maybe not through my sermon, but through this text, Through this text, as we meditate on it, as we come back to it, as we recall what it really means, we can have a profoundly intimate experience with Jesus. But the other reason why I share this account of Pascal is because some of you might be thinking this, God's ambitions. Is Pastor Danny telling me I have to sell everything and become a missionary? Do I have to give up all my dreams so that I could follow and obey God? 
there's this suspicion that I'm guessing that we all have inside of us. I want to say that the experience of Jesus only made Pascal more engaged in his pursuits, more passionate about his calling, not less. Not more guilty, but less weighed down. In fact, the only thing we really know about Pascal are his academic mathematical achievements, right? We don't know much about his faith. But it was his faith that was critical for his life and success. And I'm here only wanting us to embrace Jesus' teaching here so that we know how profound and indelible a mark Jesus has made on us when he dwells within us by his spirit so that our ambitions would align with Jesus and our new identity in him and him in us. That's how it starts. That's how the spirit leads us. That's what it's going to look like for you and me. Fire. Let's pray. Let us have a moment to reflect on these words, these simple words, but profound. Jesus is with us by the Spirit. We know this. Help us to experience it for ourselves in a whole new way. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Oh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would convict us of this basic truth that we all know so well, that Jesus, you are with us by your Spirit that we are your body, the church, and that you've called us to live for you and to live in this world as our mission field. Help us to do that in simple ways and little ways. Would you be stirring in our souls a conviction so that we would understand how we have been sent and help us as a church, Grace Church Stanford here, be the presence of Christ for our neighborhood, our community, our friends, for people to hear about us and to encounter Jesus through us. Pray that you would mobilize us for your work, O oh God. Greater works do you have in store for us. And we thank you for the privilege that we can take part in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.